This morning's Bible reading is taken from John chapter 21, beginning at verse 1. This is the Word of God. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Amen. Now let us pray. Lord, forgive us that sometimes we regard this part of morning worship as a bit of a breather in the middle. We forget that the offering is when our prayers of thanks are clothed in cash to support your work and meet human need. We have so much to thank you for. We pray, give us this day our daily bread. And we have so much more to eat than bread. Unlike most people who share this planet with us, our problem is not enough but too much to eat. We throw away and waste what millions would love to have. Have mercy on us and keep us aware of the needs of those who have so little. Help us to help them and we pray for them. For those facing famine those caught up in horrendous civil strife, 
We pray for the people of France going to the polls today amid much fear and uncertainty. For the many in the Middle East and parts of Africa and Asia whose life conditions are so awful that we try not to think about them. Lord, we acknowledge that you are in control and we pray you work mightily and swiftly to bring justice and peace to the millions who suffer. We pray, Lord, for our congregations and thank you for those that have responded sacrificially to the moderator's appeal for East Africa. And we pray for the agencies that will distribute the aid that it may be done justly, wisely. Lord, it seems that we live in a constant stream of elections. We pray for our political leaders at national and local level and pray that you would help them to work together and to come to a just and fair solution to our society's many problems. We pray for Simone and Helen as they serve in Nepal and Japan. Lord, help them to face their daily challenges with confidence, courage, and deep faith. And give them Christian brothers and sisters who will cherish them, who will support them there where they are living and serving. We thank you that our walkers were able to meet and encourage James and Heather Cochran on Good Friday. And we pray for them. And we pray for all who this morning are preaching the word. Specifically, we mention Frank in Craigavon and Damien in the, in the Republic. We turn to our own congregation and we pray for those in particular need. The sick, the lonely, the disturbed, the anxious, the wayward, the disappointed and depressed, and those who are special to us. Here these are prayers offered in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we come to the penultimate, the one before the last sermon in our series on the latter part of St. John's Gospel. It's uh, the title rather unimaginably, is that a word? It'll do, is post-resurrection one. Uh, I think what that means is we turn to John 21 and it's in two parts, 
This morning we're dealing with verses 1 to 14 and then, God willing, next Sunday morning, Damien will be coming to the concluding part. And as we begin, let's seek the Lord's help. Lord Jesus, we will be studying when you physically appeared to seven of your disciples. You were not here physically, but by your spirit, you are as present in a different form in our midst. And as you shared nourishment with them that morning, share spiritual nourishment with us that we may be challenged and built up in our faith to love you and serve you as we know we should. And to your name be all the glory. Amen. Have uh, John 21 in front of you, please. Uh, and this is, I think, a, lo a lovely story. It's about the disciples. Remember, Easter Sunday, that evening, they met for fear of the Jews and have locked the doors. Jesus appeared in their midst. One Sunday later, they met again, and Jesus again appeared and specifically talked to Thomas, who hadn't been there the week earlier, and showed his hands and his side and dispelled his doubts. And now it's some time later, we're not sure how much. And what were the disciples to do? Jesus had risen. They had revealed himself to them. But, but now, what were they going to do? He wasn't physically with them. So what do you do? You go home. So they went back to Galilee. The angels had told them that's what they should do. And uh, our Lord had earlier said he would see them there. So they go back home. And I imagine them, the seven of them, walking along the lakeside at a loose end. Some of them are kicking stones the way you do. Maybe one of the livelier ones picks up a stone and sees how far he can throw it and how many bounces he can get on the still waters. And then Peter says, I'm going fishing. And they all said, good idea, we're going with you. So they pile into a boat. It, it must have been uh, not a, a, a small boat to get uh, seven of them and uh, at least one big net with them. They pile into a boat and they go out. They go out in the evening because at night it was easier to catch fish. And did they catch any? Not a one. So it's getting near dawn. It's just beginning to get light as they make their way home tired, disappointed, and fed up as you would be. And then 
in the light on the shore, they, they see a, a, a figure, a figure of a, a, a man, and he, he shouts out to them, any fish, lads? Uh, Mark said the translation that he was referring to talks about friends. It, it's a colloquial expression. I, I think lads is the best kind of uh, address. Have you caught any fish? And they shout back, not a one. And he says, throw the net on the right-hand side. Now, they didn't know who it was. They were tired. They might have said, I'm blankety-blank sure I'm not doing any more. I'm coming home. You know, they were fishermen. But no, they threw it on the other side, on the right-hand side. That's that way for you and that way for me. And what happened? They started to pull it in. And pulling it in, suddenly the water became alive. There were so many fish being pressed into such a small area as the net was pulled in. Wow. And John said, it's the Lord. And Peter said, give me my cloak. He put it on and he jumped into the water and swam the hundred yards. They were that close. The hundred yards to the shore while the rest had the hard job of pulling the net on in. They arrive and there they see Jesus with uh, a charcoal fire and fish and fresh bread. Mm. Were they ready for that? And he asked them for a few of their fish and they said, sure. They had plenty to spare, 153. Why on earth would anybody count 153 fish? Maybe it was so significant, uh, such a big uh, uh, number that he wanted to, so that he could tell. Fishermen, when they're telling a story, you know, fishermen, people say, ah, come on, it wasn't that size. Well, this boy will say, I counted every one 150 three. Jesus uh, gives them breakfast and uh, we're told that's it, that's the story. And this is, we're told, the third appearance of our Lord to the disciples. Now if you count back and go back into chapter 20, you find it's the fourth, but the first didn't count, it was to Mary Magdalene on her own. But otherwise, it was the third story. But looking at the earlier stories, it, it's interesting. <clears throat> the first one, as I've said, was Easter Sunday when he appeared to the disciples except Thomas. Second was to Thomas, who uttered that when he saw our Lord's hands inside, that wonderful affirmation of faith, my Lord and my God, verse 28 of chapter 20. And then Jesus tells him, blessed are you, uh, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And then John writes this, verse 30. 
Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Who are the you? Who are the you? Jesus speaks to the disciples and said, you've believed because you have seen. Blessed are those who haven't seen and yet will believe. And then John tells us why he selected these stories, all these signs. They're written that you may believe. He's no longer talking to the disciples. John is talking to us, the readers. You haven't seen But these stories, this account of our Lord's ministry and the wonderful signs, miracles which he did, have put these down so that you will believe. It's to lead to faith. And of course, when you believe, you find life in his name. That's why John's Gospel is one of the favorite passages people go for evangelistic addresses. John 3, you must be born again. John 4, John 3, 16. All of these passages used by the Spirit to bring people to faith. But as you read verse 31, it's the kind of thing you would write at the end of your gospel. Isn't it? I've I've told you all these stories and I've selected them so that you will believe. And that's the end. And it's a bit of a surprise when we come to chapter 21. And we we get a new story. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again. Had he forgotten about this story? Why does he, he give us this one, which continues after our reading into his conversation with Peter? Well, I think he gives it because There's a different purpose in this story. There's a different purpose. Jesus showed himself again, and John had two more stories to tell. Two more stories. Uh, And after the story, the incident which we're looking at this morning, we have that famous one with Peter. To the man who had denied Jesus three times, Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter gets a bit fed up with this. He keeps saying, yes, you know I love you. Yes, you know I love you. Of course I love you. Each time Jesus responds after Peter, feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. The focus in chapter 21 is not on the fact that Jesus had risen. We read in the story that they knew it was Jesus. They knew it was Jesus, but they didn't mention it, but they knew it was him. This story focuses on something else. And what is that? Feed my lambs. 
care for my sheep, feed my sheep. That's what he said to Peter. And that focus on what Jesus has for us to do comes out in uh, this incident which we're looking at, this miracle. And, and, and I want to look at that again from the, the story again from that perspective. And what do we see? Remember, Jesus in chapter 20, when he saw them, breathed into them, said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he said, he mentioned their ministry would be about the forgiveness of sins. And what can that refer to? Only Jesus can forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. What can that refer to? Well, it refers to the ministry of the gospel of forgiveness, the message of salvation. And now, John has chosen, guided by the Spirit, this passage that he can help us see something about how that is done. I notice a number of things. I have, how many do I have? Four, and I'm only going to take 10 minutes, so you can begin to cough and whatever after 10 minutes. Here we go. First, let's note verse 1. Jesus takes the initiative. There's a phrase here which we, we don't get elsewhere. It, it, the NIV says, Jesus appeared, and then it said, it happened this way. Literally, it is, Jesus showed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. He showed himself this way. Now, the phrase, he showed himself this way, again, we don't see elsewhere. It, it, it seems to be flagging up that the details of this incident are important. And this is why I'm looking at the details. It... Uh, Jesus showed himself. He took the initiative. They were at a loose end back home on the lakeside and eventually going to try and catch some fish. That's what they chose to do. But Jesus chose himself to, to reveal himself to them. He chose the time. He chose the place. He chose the way. We can't conjure up appearances of our Lord. He's the one who takes the initiative. And when we're concerned about other people, we pray that he will take the initiative and meet their needs and look to him in faith to do that. Note two. Jesus directed them to the catch. They had toiled all night and caught nothing. And then, when they have decided there's nothing to be caught and they're making their way back home to get something to eat and then hit the sack because they would be exhausted, Jesus says, cast on the right side, you'll catch there. He directs their activities. And in church work, as in every other aspect of life, 
we look to him to direct. He does it in so many ways, and I've only got 10 minutes, 8 now, so I, uh, I can't expand. But we look to him to direct our activities. He directs them. And he, he's in control, as I say. Paul uses a, a different metaphor in 1 Corinthians 3. He talks about the differences between Christian workers. And sometimes there's rivalry uh, between uh, different leaders, at least from people who look to them. And he said, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. We can't conjure up results in our service. We look to him for the harvest, according to chapter 21, or in 1 Corinthians, uh, for, the, for the, the, the catch in 21, or for the harvest in 1 Corinthians uh, 3. Different metaphors, different pictures, same point. Third point. Can you believe it? We're three out of four. Third point. Jesus provided the nourishment. They were hungry men. They were hungry men. And Jesus had prepared fish. We're not told how he got them. He had fish and freshly baked bread. He was giving them the nourishment they needed to carry on their work. One of the reasons we come to church is together to be nourished and fed from the Word, and as we pray, and as we as we praise, as we bear witness, together we are being built up and nourished. You know, sometimes on holiday it's impossible to find somewhere where you can worship. Have you found that? Um, we're off in a few weeks uh, for the med. Yeah, I know somebody has to go there. And uh, I don't know if we'll find a church. I've never been in this particular place. And if I don't get to church, maybe it's because I'm a minister and my daughters think that's the reason, I don't feel properly nourished. And certainly people who give up meeting with other Christians are depriving themselves of so much. Nourishment together and nourishment in the home, and I'll end this morning's sermon with quoting from what we read in our Bible notes uh, last week, but that's just uh, in a moment. He gives us the strength and he equips us for the task. Do you believe that? Yes. So encourage others to join with you in this or some other place of prayer and worship regularly. And then the, the fourth thing I want to point out is that 
the disciples played their part. They followed Jesus' instructions. At the start, they didn't know it was Jesus. But if you like, they took his advice to throw the net to the other side. And then, uh, that was despite their tiredness, despite their disappointment of working for hours to no result, and despite their desire to get home as quickly as they could, that they could rest. They could have easily said to the man out there, nah, what do you know? But they did what he said. And then later we read in verse 10, he asked, bring them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. And they did. Did he need their fish? Jesus doesn't need anything. Does the Lord need us to serve him in kingdom work? Does he need you or me? He most certainly does not. He can do all things. Does he want us to serve him? Yes, he does. He wants us to serve. You know, when you've got young children in the house, uh, they, they want to help. And sometimes that's the last thing that you want. You had that experience? That's the last thing that you want. Why? Because they're going to get in the way. But, but, do you let them help? And do, are you not encouraged when they want to help? And if uh, an odd one in your brood doesn't want to help, you say, what's wrong with him or her? You know, of course, we want to encourage them because there's something so satisfying of seeing children that we love wanting to share in the tasks of the home. Isn't there? Or am I a doting granddad? Okay, I may be, but you share. And the Lord in his love wants us to serve him, wants us to share what he has given us with him, our time, our talents. And sometimes he gives us special gifts all because of his love and what joy we know as we serve him and give him all. Sometimes we want to give him a bit and hold back a bit. And, you know, young children want to do that too. And they think they're very clever and you can read them like a book. All right? They give the Lord what he asked. They played their part. But, as I've said, he didn't need them. And sometimes people involved in Christian service 
can think we're indispensable. Indispensable. The Lord needs me. And, you know, we can all be tempted that way. But we're not. But let's willingly give him what he asks. Let me conclude, and you've got longer this morning for coffee than you normally have. Let me conclude this morning by reading a bit from Daily Bread. It so happened, if anything so happens, it so happened that this past week, uh, Ruth and I, we, we use Scripture Union notes in our devotions at night. And uh, the Scripture Union notes on Thursday were dealing with this passage we've been focusing on uh, this morning. And sometimes, maybe because we're tired, we don't get very much out of the notes, and sometimes they hit the mark. This sparkled on uh, during the week. So let me just read uh, a few words from, well, I forget who wrote it, but whoever it was, good stuff on him or her. He says this about John 21. It's been an exhausting few days, but then things seem to calm down. And Peter, restless as ever, says, I'm going fishing. Back to what he knows best. And the others follow him. Then it happens again. Jesus coming incognito. This time was a stranger on the shore offering help to the experienced but frustrated fishermen. Suddenly, the net is full and recognition dawns. It's John who makes the connection and Peter who makes the move, just like at the empty tomb. So they haul the catch to shore and coyly accept the stranger's invitation to breakfast. He has his own fish, but asks them to bring some of their recent catch, which he was responsible for, to add to the meal. And then he concludes, So Jesus keeps coming into our lives. Maybe we've denied him, like Peter. Tried to go it alone and failed. But still he comes and with no recriminations and invites us to meet him. He has all the resources we need but asks for our contribution nonetheless. He wants to talk with us and the conversation will not be, without, uh, will not be about our failure but his constant love, and I add, and what he wants us to do. Let's pray. Lord, we are not Galileans. We are not fishermen. But like the first disciples, we are seeking to follow you. Like them, we fail. Like them, we let you down. Like them, we opt so often to do it our way. 
show us the foolishness of such attitudes and choices. Help us to draw on the resources for spiritual nourishment and inner strength which you alone can give. Help us, like Thomas, to say, my Lord and my God. And daily depend upon you, for you do not fail. Follow you, for you do not err. And talk with you, for you do not remain silent. And so be fruitful, loyal servants enriched by your presence and promise, reflecting your glory day by day in your precious name. Amen.